Now I'm curious. Yeah, how long have we been recording? Uh, oh dear. Happy mini. It's a mini so. We should just call them Friday Mysteries or something. <laughs> I'm up for that. Yeah, maybe we should do that. Welcome to Crime by the Bar. Yes, welcome. I'm uh, Jonathan. I'm Anna. And this is our Minnesota mystery for this lovely Friday. Yeah. And I'm really excited about this one, actually. Are you? Yeah, I've been looking forward to recording today. I really like my crime. Uh, we are having good drinks and good company, and the couch yeah. is agreeing with me today, and I'm feeling, I'm feeling okay. How's your back doing? Doing very well, thank you. Very nice indeed. Mm. My neck's starting to hurt. The, the natural thing would be to stop looking at you, but yeah, as uh, we've who established, wants to do that? Yeah. no, exactly, exactly. I'm glad you understand. Ah, wholesome nature beast. Got I've already forgotten what you said. Big wholesome beast. Big wholesome beast. Sorry. I don't know. Well, the words are gone. <laughs> <laughs> you look like nature. <laughs> yeah, that works. That works. Oh uh, yeah, um, but oh dear, um. Words, words in a face. And mysteries. Um, and mysteries. You mm. like your crime, you're excited. I do, I do. Hey. Yeah. Um, How about you? Yeah, you know what? I, I'm, yeah. I think mm-hmm. this is going to be a good one. Nice. And coming off the, the gory, gory Russians, this, this should be all right. Yeah, the Russians were heavy. We should probably do a tame Russian one so it's clear that we don't think all Russians are capable of awful, gory things. Yeah, that works for me. It wasn't I've, easy to find Russian research full stop, like let alone trying to find one that is less dot, I don't know. True. I am living with mm. a uh, Russian speaker, so I should probably utilize that. And um, Can you pick a couple out and put them in envelopes? Envelopes? Well, As because I don't have a Russian speaker. Oh, right, right. Oh, well, yeah, I right. could ask my brother. Hmm. I don't know. Who do you think is worse this week? I don't know. I would not have thought that I was worse because I am pretty. It's nice. It's calm. Huh. It's kind of pretty. Oh really? Yeah. Mine's Travellini, but um, mm. I'm, I don't mind. Oh, you go ahead. I go you first. Can go first. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a lot of notes this time. Yay! Official paper. Ah, oh, official papers. Okay. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. Bring your crime. Put it on the table. Are we talking? Shake it all about. <laughs> I, I'm not sure where I'm going. Are we talking about what the the theme was this week? Uh, we already mentioned in the last episode, so it bears repeating. Okay. Uh, this week we were focusing on opera. Yeah. The opera, even. I'm curious how closely you stuck to it because I'm worried you're going to say, "Meh, this isn't really." I very quickly found a crime that I really liked. Definitely on topic from the start, but it's not too close. I'm guessing that you might be closer to to the heart of the matter. Okay, well, that's cool. Have you heard of Ambrose Small? I don't think so. Ah, okay, that's good, because Mm. I'm guessing any Canadians will have. Mm. Ambrose J. Small was born on the 11th of January, 1863. My crime is set in Toronto. 
1919. Ambrose, when he's 17, his parents moved to Toronto. His dad starts running the Grand Hotel mm-hmm. in Toronto and... I think he owns it in the end, but Ambrose starts working across the street at um, the Grand Opera House and Mm -hmm. he's just ripping tickets and running the bar and, you know, taking people to their seats. And uh, he also does under the table bets for racehorses. I don't know. Yeah, I know. What the hell? That's a bit, okay, whatever works. Isn't that a bit random? But anyway, so... Yeah, he's taking these dodgy bets and he actually does pretty well out of all this. He quite quickly becomes known as being very good at this and he's a shrewd businessman. Mm -hmm. He ends up becoming the treasurer of the Grand Opera House, but he gets into a fight with the owner. So then he leaves for the Toronto Opera House, which isn't really a proper opera house. It does vaudeville performances, which is like grouped. Stuff. I mean, uh, vaudeville can be, it has its place in the yeah, art as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, no. It's uh, not I, really I, the it same. was just an awe, not for the vaudeville, just for the not really an opera house thing. But that yeah. is understandable. It's different. Yeah. He ended up getting a bit of a reputation as a gambler, um, but he did manage to work his way into management. And mm-hmm. uh, by the time he was in his 30s, he was the chairman of the Canadian Theatrical Managers Association Um, and he starts buying up theatres all across Ontario Mm -hmm. and um, starts building up his uh, personal wealth. By this point he is also gaining a reputation not only as a gambler but as someone who is into money and ladies Um, and he is now working from an office at the Grand Opera House Mm -hmm. And he has a secret room there, which um, has separate entrance, secret separate entrance. Um, It has a bar, paintings of uh, nude women, and it has a bed. Hmm. And no windows. (laughs) I I do kind of love those things because when I hear this, I immediately think of, like, when this was brought to light. It might have just been a boring, boring, I don't know, police raid or something, but... Like, I kind of want to imagine that, no, no, he set all this up, then whatever will happen, happened. Yeah. And then, like, a couple of years later, there was some change in ownership, and someone just discovers this. Yeah. And, yeah, that that's way more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who discovered it. Um, mm. I didn't find any reference about who discovered the room, but it was um, also used as an entrance for people paying gambling debts or other illegitimate... Yeah, involved in other Ill- illegitimate dealings that didn't want to use the front door of the place. Okay, so but I, combination, you know, boudoir and uh, I, office see, reception. I don't know whether there's like a corridor that has the separate entrance that leads into it and then there's a separate room off the corridor or what the story is. It just mm-hmm. says hidden room and separate entrance. Okay. But it all does seem to be connected. Like you can definitely get into the room from the outside and also get into the room from the office. Okay. Whether you have to walk through and go, ha ha, nice mm. silky sheets. What are you up to here? Um, apparently he was very fond of chorus girls and brought them in and he fed them chocolate. And I don't know why that detail is in there. But yeah. he. No, I mean, that's how babies happen. You feed them chocolate and <laughs> that's how babies happen you meet a chorus girl and you feed her chocolate and yes. she gets big and round and then all of a sudden a baby pops out mm-hmm. takes about nine months true that's right yeah, yeah. that's I mean, what you, they taught you, us you in can't eat school. chocolate faster than that because then you'll just get stomach pain so 
That's true. Mm. I'm glad we know about these things. <laughs> this may be why I have no babies attributed to me in the DNA system. Because of chocolate? Or? Because I don't fully understand how the chocolate eating process, baby making <laughs> works. But anyway, yeah. So despite being quite happy with his uh, mystery boudoir and mm. all the money he's making and everything else, he decides to get married and why not keep it in the family? So it's it's okay. I, I, it's I not blood related. No. Nope. Uh, okay. I was going to say I could list a couple of reasons, but... Shh my story we're doing yes. it my way sorry um, <laughs> um he ends up getting married to the daughter of his stepmother oh, okay which is actually i mean it's a bit cruel intentionsy but it's all right yeah yeah I mean, it's not anything it's, bad with it like yeah. when you're talking these things um what is a classic bad scenario is when there is you know such an obvious uh i know power dynamic is the wrong word but if you're talking either like an age gap or someone Ooh, in the trust yeah, yeah, yeah. of someone uh but like yeah yeah that doesn't really matter no they uh, were they were roughly the same age i actually don't have her age but um mm. there was enough that pointed to them being about the same age so yeah. i i think it's fine and um i don't know that much about his parents and everything else mm-hmm. um so I'm I'm not sure if he'd known her from a young age either, but mm-hmm. um, it seemed sort of fine. Yeah. I don't think they were that closely related because he came from a Protestant family and she came from a Catholic family. And I oh, mean, it okay. didn't cause any issues, but you'd think if they were super close and everything else, then mm. yeah, I, I don't know. I just, it sort of made it more okay. okay. Anyway, um, they're not related. It's probably fine, but it also meant that he would inherit money from her father's side of the family. So oh, um, right. so that stuff is keeping it in the family, I guess. Um, he definitely was having affairs whenever he was married. And um, there's some really mixed reports on the wife. Um, the wife is called Teresa. And mm-hmm. by all accounts, she was really like... Um, the epitome of a good Catholic woman, you know, she's very religious, she's involved with charity work, she's, she was also a really shrewd businesswoman, supposedly. Okay. Like, she seemed like a pretty good match. And even though he's going out and having affairs, she apparently knew about it, and mm-hmm. seemed to be that she was okay with her, or at least, you know, tolerated it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how that goes with her being of high moral upstanding and then going, it's grand. Who cares? It's, it's 1919. Mm. I can be a modern woman and have my husband go out and bang other people. And yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, mm. Ambrose's closest friend is actually his uh, secretary, who he pays really badly, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it this way, when Ambrose was working in his first job in the theater back in the day, mm-hmm. um, he was earning about a quarter of what this experienced guy is earning now, mm. um, 20 years later. So doing his books so that's kind of bad yeah and considering he's one of the wealthiest guys in toronto it's sort of like dude a little bit stingy Mm -hmm. um and the guy knew about his secret room and all the drama that's happening so you'd think well yeah they those who keep the books always know yeah oh i totally believe that though like the executive assistants the secretaries Mm -hmm. they are the ones that yeah they hold the power they hold the knowledge they hold the appointment calendar Mm. um the appointment calendar you know what i mean um so yeah 
that's um, his secretary, John Doherty. But by the end of 1919, um, Ambrose has built up pretty impressive property portfolio. Like mm-hmm. he he's brought up he's brought up he's bought up loads of different opera houses mm-hmm. and theaters all across Ontario, but also multiple within Toronto. And um, by the 1st of December, he's closed a deal to sell almost all of them. <laughs> and he sells them for $1.7 million. In 1919, he sells them for $1.7 million. That's insane. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. I, like, I yep. started yep. looking up how much that is in today's money. And, okay, the Canadian dollar to the US dollar is, like, one Canadian dollar to about 75 US cents. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If you're looking up the comparative amount it's worth yeah. these days, like in terms of buying power, you're talking about a hundred times as much. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about literal, then it's ten or fifteen times, but it's crazy amounts of money. <laughs> anyway, um, he has a billion zillion squid, um, all squid. all the squid you could want. <laughs> Calamari for life. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have any aioli, but you know what can you do? Um, I I don't know. What do I like with it? I like aioli with calamari. Okay. Oh, you don't eat calamari. I don't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, so 1st of December, he closes this deal um, and deposits a check at the Toronto Dominion Bank TD. TD, Mm. hi Canadians. I had an account with TD. Um, (laughs) Yeah, deposits a check for one million into his personal account. Mm -hmm. And... Like it's it's big enough selling it for one point seven, but like a million Canadian dollars into your personal account mm-hmm. in nineteen nineteen. Anyway, so sorry, I, I'll stop getting carried away. <laughs> he he really just walks into the bank and deposits it, and um, later on the uh, clerk describes it as um, yeah, he was in a really cheery mood and... No wonder. <laughs> yeah, strange that. And I reached for the deposit slip and gasped when I saw the amount in the check, <laughs> as you would. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that was the 1st of December. Um, the 2nd of December is a little bit of a different story. Um, hmm. 2nd of December, he is, as usual, working... Um, at the Grand Opera House in his office. Um, by the way, this is on Adelaide Street West. If there's any Canadian listeners out there going, oh, is it that? Yes, it is that one on Adelaide Street West. So he's working hard and it's his secretary guy, uh, John Doherty, is is still there. And um, he's the last one who sees him that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about six o'clock when Ambrose leaves. Mm-hmm. There's some mixed reports here. So... It was reported that he then bought a newspaper from a street vendor um, and they had like a little bit of an argument about something. Um, It was later determined the street vendor was probably lying just for attention. Okay, okay. Um, But yeah, so the last confirmed sighting is six o'clock as he leaves the office when John Doherty sees him go. Um, It's the last time he's seen Hmm. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, this, um, is, this is almost even more traveling than traveling. Yeah, because this is from downtown Toronto hmm. on a busy weekday at six o'clock. And I mean, even then, Toronto was crazy busy. Hmm. And 
no one sees him. And he's also super distinctive. Like he's five six. He has a pretty um, impressive mustache, like more impressive than your average nineteen nineteen gentleman. <laughs> I mean, there's some random reports on his appearance after he disappears. Um, the Milwaukee Journal describes him as hawk-like. 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 Hey, I, I have a picture. Do you want to see a picture? Oh, yes, please. That's him. I do not see the hawk, but that is an impressive mustache. Yes. Isn't it an impressive mustache? I don't mm-hmm. know. I can see the hawk, but I think I'm quite easily um, influenced on this. Um, plus, I've read hawk-like like about six times so um well, i thought you were talking about the novel series hawk life mm. so he was last seen wearing a dark tweed suit and a dark overcoat with a velvet collar which makes me all excited and a <laughs> soft felt hat yeah um the photo i showed you is like a little bit old like it wasn't taken the week of his disappearance no, or anything no, like that not. So 2nd of December, 6 o'clock is the last time anyone saw him. Mm-hmm. Any idea how long it took his wife to report him missing? Oh, it's this thing. Uh, so, with her knowing all about the stuff, I'm going to say three weeks. Mm, that's a pretty good guess. Yeah. Two weeks. Oh. She said um, that she thought he was out enjoying himself. Mm. The end. Um, yeah, I mean, I... if you have that special room built, that's not an unfair assumption. Yeah, but there were other weird things, like John Doherty mm-hmm. disappears off and takes another job somewhere almost immediately. Okay. Which, you know, tad suspicious. Mrs. Small, um, Teresa Small, um, basically said that she thought he was out enjoying his money with um, one of his other lady friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what she told the police, and she offered a $500 reward. Hmm. And the police were a little bit like, seriously, Teresa, seriously, Mrs. Small, maybe you want to offer a bit more. Do you actually want to see him again? So, um, well, I mean, to be fair, she's not paying a ransom to anyone. Well, that's the thing. At this point, it's like, maybe it's a kidnapping. And the police are like, maybe you should up the amount. Um, so they they hmm. ended up, whenever no one contacted with a ransom note, she ended up upping it to $50,000, which was the highest at the time ever. That's a big leap. Yeah. yeah. But again, no one contacted them to say, yo, 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 we have your husband. <laughs> so, yeah, the police didn't have any kind of a head start because of the late reporting. Um, hmm. And John Doherty had already disappeared off to Montreal, which it's, I mean... Even now it's a pain driving from Toronto to Montreal. It's like, <laughs> but seriously, I can only imagine how irritating it would have been back then. But hmm. what is it now? Four hours? Something like that? Uh, don't ask me. I have no context for Canada. I I have driven that. Well, I haven't. I have been chauffeured between the two. <laughs> Thank you, Mum. <laughs> but I have been driven between Montreal and, um, and Toronto, Toronto before. But I can't remember how far it is. Um, and I also, all car journeys kind of merge in my mind, so I could be merging Ottawa <laughs> to Toronto instead of Montreal. But I, I have done it. Um, but it's 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 not a bad car journey, but it takes freaking ages. So yeah, John had moved off to Montreal, taken another job, moved into a boarding house, and uh, pretty much had done all of this as soon as um, as soon as Ambrose had disappeared, mm. which is a bit bloody suspicious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. It's 
so the police are really like trying to find out what the deal is there. They eventually, um, it's almost a year later, so it's November of 1920 when um, they find John Doherty working under a false name. Oh. By this stage in Oregon, in the US. Huh. And um, because he fled again when the story started kicking off. Oh. Um, yeah. So once it started getting international attention, he decided to move from Canada to the US. But he was recognized oh. from a photo. And the police tracked him down and um, essentially brought him back to Toronto. And he... <laughs> I don't understand how and why this happened. I assume they had some sort of a clue and it wasn't like he went, oh, oh, you found me in Oregon. So um, tell you what, let's go to my sister's house in Toronto and I'll show you all the shit I stole. Um, because that's essentially what? what happened. Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> he stole $150,000 worth of bonds. Huh. Um, he'd accessed the safe twice on the day of Ambrose's disappearance, like the personal vault, um, twice in the day of the disappearance and had taken a hundred right on the day as well. Yeah. But again, how do they know it was on the day? He must have told them, which is super weird. Hmm. Um but yeah, he took hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of bonds on the day of the disappearance in two trips. Well two visits to the vault. Mm-hmm. Well, open and shuts. Yeah, um yeah. but it seemed like he hadn't touched them and he'd left them at his sister's place in Toronto. Um, the police were really pushing him, but um, they, they couldn't get anything beyond that. The guy was sentenced to six years um, for larceny. Um, but despite police trying everything from threatening him to offering him a more lenient sentence for the larceny, um, they were never able to charge him on anything to do with the disappearance. Okay. Yeah. So... That was mysterious thing number one. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, this isn't really mysterious. This is just weird. Um, uh, by 1922, Toronto police were kind of struggling to find any leads. So they decided to contact some other people who might be able to give them insight. So naturally, they contacted a clairvoyant. Of course, of course. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. What? Yes, as in Wait, what? Hind of the Baskervilles, Lost World, Jurassic Park. Sorry, not Jurassic Park. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> to be fair, like yes, the classic, uh, the classics <laughs> in this over. Um, but no, like like Sherlock Holmes, like yes. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. They actually contacted him and went, "Yo, <laughs> well, he wrote the Lost World, which is based in like South America, and it has a bunch of prehistoric creatures, including dinosaurs, who are there." So he oh, did he, write. He actually wrote he, one which was called Lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. And then I naturally said Jurassic mis- Park, which is not yeah, correct course, at all. Of course, uh, but he did sorry. write a book called The Lost World. Sorry, sorry, um, I wasn't called for. for yes, me. it was. How dare you? No, to be fair, it was a bit ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they. Um, so, <laughs> of all people to ask, I mean, the clairvoyant was probably a more normal request. Um, the cool thing was. Um, <laughs> Conan Doyle was actually kind of like, ah, interesting. Maybe mm. this is a good idea for a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he did start poking around a little bit and expressed his interest in the case, but in oh, the course. end, he didn't have enough time because, you know, he's too busy writing other stuff. Mm. Um, and I think there wasn't enough to make it in, into a really interesting story. Oh, okay. um, but, which is how we end up here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it it is a, like, what? What are you thinking? Yeah. Um, there are quite a few mysterious things that um, that surrounded it, though. So, um, all of uh, his entire fortune was left to his wife. Um, okay. But whenever she died... Uh, when did she die? Yeah, so the last time he wrote a will was um, in 1903. Mm-hmm. So a good... 16 years before he died um, just over 16 years and everything was left to his wife Teresa it took a couple of years before they they finished probate and everything else and actually sorted out all of the money mm-hmm. um, and by that stage his sisters also got some but then one of the sisters got married and almost like the next day mm-hmm. was found drowned in her car oh. with the new husband Okay, isn't that really really weird um is. Yeah, she she was drowned beside her new husband when their car plunged into um into a river. It was just a couple of days after the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, every almost everything went to um his wife though. Mm. A, a couple hundred thousand went between the sisters and then one of them died. It's I actually don't know what happened to it there. Mm. But the Ontario Attorney General concluded that Teresa Small had nothing to do with her husband's disappearance. There were a lot of other random things in the middle. There were accusations that Teresa Small was involved in pornography and her reputation was called into question. It was all of the tabloids and yeah, like just weird stuff. They actually found like um, naked pictures of women who looked kind of like her and then accused it of being her and like made attacks Mm. on her um, her morals and blah blah blah. Like it was it was very like Victorian area. Like wow. Um, But yeah, there were rumors of police cover-ups. There were rumors of Ambrose's body being burned. There were rumors of it being uh, dumped in uh, what do you call it? The thing where the woman's thing was. What is that? Uh, oh, that thing. Um, yeah, like where the fridge was. Legal dump site. What is that? But yeah, there, there were just, there was rumor after rumor about it. There was even rumor about his body being buried in a ravine. So they actually dug it up. Um, hmm. Like it's starting to seem a bit understandable that they reached out to an author for their insight. <laughs> um, then there was also an accusation that Teresa had paid an assassin to kill her husband and um, shortly after her death a confession came out that she'd supposedly signed just before she died but it it was determined to be total nonsense and a forgery and everything else however there does seem to be pretty strong evidence of a police cover up and oh yeah Um, on which part of it though um, well, we don't really know. We just know there's something a bit dodgy going on and the police records don't make a lot of sense. Oh. Apparently there was evidence that she was present at the crime scene or at the crime. And yeah, I was uh, say, we don't have a crime scene, do we? Yeah, well, we think she was present near the office at the time of the disappearance. Oh, okay, okay. And 
one of the officers involved in the investigation had apparently, actually the officer in charge, had apparently scared off witnesses and suppressed facts of the case. So, but again, there's not much information on it. They had a whole bunch of um, tipsters, but nothing ever panned out. Um, No one ever claimed the reward. Nothing was ever found of him. The money was never touched by him. So it's not like he spent any money after he disappeared, but he probably had a decent amount of cash. And there, there have been sightings of him all over the place, but none that have actually been confirmed. Mm. The case wasn't actually closed until 1960. And yeah, they had, <laughs> Toronto police had a file that was three feet thick. Thick, okay. Thick. Like huh. three feet of paperwork. <laughs> it could have been like really heavy leaf paper or something though, so. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. You increase the font size, you narrow the margins a bit. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that includes all the notes from the clairvoyance and everything else, so of like, let's not get too carried away. How far did you say your Arthur Conan Doyle got with this uh, novel idea? Maybe they just <laughs> had some manuscripts in there. Yeah, maybe you sent it over. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, it's shit, mate. <laughs> You'll never make it as a novelist. <laughs> oh, it's J.K. Rowling all over again. Um, but that, I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, okay. There are loads of theories about it. The biggest issue remains Toronto is a busy place, was mm-hmm. then, is now. And, and he disappeared with seemingly no one seeing him. And yeah. unless you believe the paperboy story, which or the news agent guy story, which still doesn't really yeah, tell you anything. Not really. Unless- Hang on. So my first question that I had, uh-huh. but you kind of answered it, but this was right after all the property deals and um, like literally the day after yeah, he deposited yeah, yeah. the check. Yeah, and putting aside all of that, just all that cash into his bank account. Yeah. But all of that wasn't touched, you said, and just went to yeah. his wife instead. Yeah, um, it took a couple of years, but yeah. Okay. Because like that behavior, basically liquidating all your assets and then kind of vanishing, and then also... It's the natural thing you do if you want to get away. Kind of. Which uh, maybe he did, and he someone stopped him from accessing the money. That's true, something might have happened afterwards. Like, imagine if mm. she found out that he was planning on running off with um, one of the chorus girls mm. or whoever and um, got wind of it, calls up John Doherty and goes, right, tell you what, 150 in bonds, mm. bop him on the head, we're done. But <laughs> I, um, I, I don't think so, especially not with Doherty, because I think from that behavior that he would not have anything to do with the actual disappearance really like my first instinct stuff on the day the guy disappeared yes but but if he actually had a hand in the disappearance uh-huh. like if he's at the accountant he probably has ways of getting to that at another point you or think that something. you i mean unless he was badly paid because he was crap at his job but well, well, okay, otherwise you think he'd possible. have a way of siphoning off money for a while yeah either that or doing something at a later stage because like if he actually had a hand in it yeah. Like, why would you ever do anything but, because obviously you've done a marvellous job of disposing <laughs> the body and all that. Like, no, no, then you sit tight mm-hmm. and you sit there and maybe after a week you call the wife and like, 
Oh, have you seen uh, Ambrose? I mean, I haven't seen him in ages. I wonder what he's up to. Uh, or <sighs> something like that. To me, the first reaction was that mm -hmm. he liquidated his assets. He was going to disappear on his own. He might have confided in Doherty about this. Yeah. And Doherty not really Ooh. touching the whole disappearance, but oh, he was just cool. like, oh, so now I know this, that there will basically be no one to stop me from getting into the honey jar on this day. Yeah, yeah. And no one will really follow up if I vanish. So I think yeah. that was just an opportunist thing. Well, to me, it sounds That's like quite that. That's quite interesting, That yeah. he basically just like, okay, he somehow found out that regardless through whom, Ambrose will disappear. And he's like, okay, I'm taking my pension and I'm fucking off. The interesting thing as well is initially he told police that the 150000 in bonds was a pay rise. Hmm. Like he was really insistent. But that kind of, that and like the confession, or I don't know what happened, but the yeah, fact that, that this whole came thing was bizarre as well. at all would kind of uh, point to me that he might not have been, you know, the grand criminal. Mm -hmm. And while people are investigating the disappearance, he's just worried that they'll find out that he swiped a bit out of the till yeah and then a bit it's a hell of a lot of money it's a hell of a bit but still comparing to you know possibly the millions or yeah well the the priceless value of a human life etc etc hey maybe he's fine maybe he's traveling it up i really like your theories though like i um i like that direction that's really quite quite a good one and fair enough, really, if if he had have decided to run for it, 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 one of the things that didn't sit well with me is I don't really get why all of a sudden you'd sell essentially all of your property at the same time. You're planning something. You're going yeah. to do something. Unless it really is like, oh, I heard the 20s, there's going to be a crash. Yeah. <gasps> Clairvoyance. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, but there are still ways of doing that in a yeah, more yeah. subtle manner, I guess. Yeah. Um, the, I, I know I, I did like your note on just the fact that okay he was liquidating he was planning to do something but then was prohibited well something prevented him from getting to the money yeah that could have been the wife that could have been something else I mean for all we know he might have had this grand plan to use all this money and elope to well Fuck it, everyone's going to France. Let's say France again. Hey. Uh, works with the Canada connection as well. Who goes to France? Also, Traveling did. Oh yeah, Traveling did. We've decided. Um, also, can we can we do this properly? France and Canada, there is no association. If we're gonna if we're gonna play this game, we can do Quebec. We cannot do Ontario. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go on. I'm and by saying, the way, it is still an official language. It, it is. Yeah, that's but, all I'm saying. You okay, have that Okay, but the French bonus. connection is with, um, or the French-speaking part is mm -hmm. Quebec. No, and I, they don't get married there, by the way. They have the lowest marriage rates of anywhere in Canada. So, haha, -ha, yes. Um, uh, ow, I, I know. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Why is this turned into a personal attack? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, but I'm just saying, your theory is flawed. He wouldn't be running off with some mistress from Quebec because they wouldn't be eloping then. Probably. It's unlikely. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm, all I'm saying is... <laughs> That's my is, big issue with this. <laughs> all I'm saying is that everyone who's disappearing and turning into an international spy 
will of course first always go through France. Yeah. Um, and I was just saying bilingual country. I'm, then you have an edge. It's not a bilingual country. It is not okay. a bilingual country. There are a two... country in which one of the official languages is the same as another country you might be going to. <sighs> no. Well, it is an official right. language, you, isn't it? You go off. Yeah, but you go yeah. off to Toronto and see how many people will speak French at you. I'm not saying that everyone is going to speak no, French. No, hardly yet. anyone speaks know, French know, in Toronto. I, I know I made a mistake earlier. Oh, I'm just saying you're frustrating that me. compare with, I don't know, USA, I do think there are more French-speaking people in Canada. I don't think that's true, aside from okay. anything else population you are way more informed on I'm also both very, those countries than i am i'm so irrationally fine. irritated by this i noticed yeah <laughs> i need to calm down never i'll stand by that i've said that and if you say never then never is never never is never so i'm standing by that um no i like your theories though as much as i i dislike the detail <laughs> um yeah i I don't know. Maybe he's not even dead. It's possible. Yeah. Um, I kind of assume he is. I mean, yeah. if he's still around now, he's awfully old. Well, that's true. That's true. Some time has passed. Uh, no, that was... Sorry, I got sidetracked. Like, if we're... If he was... Even if we was uh, going to elope or disappear or anything, uh, I was going to say, I like your theory of someone preventing him from getting through the money. But, I mean, in these cases, it could also just be complete blind dumb luck that yeah. he had this grand plan in place yeah. and as he was going to enact it like he managed to sneak off then it was going somewhere then maybe he got an accident maybe he was mugged and shot and dumped somewhere or yeah something just got in the way of the grand scheme of things the so. the thing that really points to foul play for me is that the chances of him just randomly going missing from the city are, are so low. Like, mm. you would be noticed. And if there's a random shooting, like, he wouldn't have been anywhere that you're likely to get shot and it not to be noticed either. Mm. So I think there is some serious foil play there. Sure, sure. But, yeah. Yeah, that's that's my story. That's your story. It's my story. It, it turned into a bit of a long one, actually. Sorry about that. Well... I really liked your crime. Thank you. I am excited. If it was a crime, like it yeah. is the epitome of mystery is not even is not necessarily an unsolved crime. Yeah. It's a mystery. It's a Minnesota mystery. Mm. It fits the criteria. On the mystery part at least. Yeah. Was yeah, not on the Minnesota bit. <laughs> <laughs> um I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Tell me your story. No, that's not a question. That's an imperative. Mm. Yes. Um I, yeah, well, it's great. <laughs> tell me your story. Mm. I will happily tell you my story because I do like it. Mm. So, yeah, okay. Uh, on the broader strokes, as we discussed at the start of the episode, um, mine is slightly less opera-related than yours, but your lead-up kind of... Uh, I had forgotten that because I was enthralled by your storytelling. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was kind of expecting something along the lines of like a full-on... We're talking like on the stage as they're performing, there's a murder. No I thought you would have something like that. like that. Yeah, I was going to aim for it. But, but it's really difficult to find, right? 
To be honest, I don't know because like the very first search I did brought me my current crime. Oh, you find the one. I kind of did. I really like it. it is, it was tricky to find that much details and many varying sources on this one. Okay. Mostly because, and for once, this is not a Google Translate issue. <laughs> okay. um, it's more a Bollywood issue, actually, because my crime takes place in India. Yeah. And my crime was also, there was a fictionalized um, was adaptation. There, a Bollywood? There, was, there was a movie uh, ah, made around this. Amazing. Uh, I haven't movie. seen anything Bollywood in ages. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while for me as well, and I definitely haven't seen this one. So okay. I, I'm I'm torn, though, because I really like the story of the crime as it is. And if you're making a movie and, like, forcing dramatization on mysterious bits, I'm not sure how this would work. But huh. I will tell you the crime, and you can, you can evaluate for yourself. Okay, so... My crime relates to the Royal Opera House in Mumbai. Hey! Yes, I've never been myself. I have not either. Uh, but it's a big thing, as far as I understand it. Okay. So, we are talking about the tale of a man only known as Mon Singh or Mohan Singh. On the 17th of March in 1987. Okay, this is a while ago. It's a while ago, but still, I was alive then, so that's fine. It's 31 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Counting. I was not prepared for counting. We don't have to uh, count. You can me. cut that bit out. No one needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, 17th of March, 1987. Singh placed a classified ad in a large daily newspaper. Dude, you know that's St. Patrick's Day. St. No. Patrick's Day, 31 years ago. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I didn't even make the connection. I, I've been constantly saying that my head has been so stuck in St. Patrick's Day because uh, partially when we had our first celebration as we were uh, like celebrating the week before yeah. and then we had the great plans for the day and yeah. then after that my plans kind of stopped and it's been a bit of a vacuum so I've been kind of stuck in that mindset and, and yeah this was St. Patrick's Day in 87 in India yeah no one mentioned any Thing regarding this, so I don't think it plays into the narrative. But uh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm probably ruining this. No, no, that's that's good. I mean, we're keeping a red thread for now on. From now on, every crime will need to, you know, be relatable to St. Patrick's oh, Day. Dear. Okay. In yep. some way, who knows? Yeah. But so Singh placed a uh, classified ad in a um, one of the larger daily newspapers uh, where he put it as a job posting looking for candidates for security and intelligence officers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there were a lot of applicants and they were all to report to a uh, room at the Taj Mahal Palace and Tower uh, yes as in the Taj Mahal as in, uh, no, there is like a, a hotel combo thing oh. vicinity, not the actual tomb. Tomb slash, it, it is a wonder, isn't it? Uh, modern wonder, maybe. Okay, maybe, not the tomb at least. Okay. And uh, and yeah, he had rented an uh, uh, like a temporary office 
at the Mittal Towers uh, nearby to do like interviews with candidates. So he interviewed a lot of people, uh, went through this, and on the 19th of March, so two days later, mm-hmm. uh, hangover is done and you're ready to tackle the rest of the week. I'm familiar with that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, he had picked uh, 28 candidates. That's a lot of candidates. Mm-hmm. That's not even a long list. That's like a can't make up my mind list. <laughs> they were all selected from a from a lo- longer list, at least. And they were told to gather near the gateway of India. Oh, uh, dear. Why do I think something bad is going to happen? Mm, well, that's probably, you know, empirical data whenever I'm talking about <laughs> things in weird ways. But this is not as bad. So they uh, they gathered. They were all handed out uh, identity cards with the fake government insignia. Okay. And uh, they all got on a uh, bus that Singh had hired for the occasion. Mm-hmm. And on the bus, the candidates were briefed on what was supposed to be a mock raid to as a part of the application process. Basically. Oh, now I'm getting excited. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they drove to the Royal Opera House. Uh-huh. In this uh, well this uh, complex I guess for the Opera House yeah. was one of the most famous uh, branches of the uh, Trivandas Bimji Saveri Jewelers. Okay. There. Sorry for that by the way but yes. Uh let's call them the TBZ. TBZ. So they had a branch a jewelry store there one of their biggest or most fancy ones basically for me it's an opera house you need the jewelry there yeah of course hmm. you know what an opera length necklace is opera length so you have different lengths of necklaces you yeah. have princess which i think is 16 inches opera is super long i think it's 22 inches is it always the length of necklace and yes. not a comparative thing like if you have a really thick neck um it should really be there is an appropriate way for it to hang but technically yeah. no it's by the length of the chain okay okay but yeah, opera is the really long one. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or was I? Yes. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the TBZ uh, jewelers. TBZ. Or TBZ. We were talking Canada. I was inspired. Um, India do... does uh, British English for sure. TBZ. True, true. It makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, once they uh, once they got there, the organizers sing. He walked into the jewelers, walked up to the owner, a mm-hmm. um, uh, Pratap Bhai Savari, and introduced himself as Research and Analysis Wing Officer Monsing of the CBI, which is the Central Bureau of Investigation. Uh-huh. And he produced a search warrant for the jewelers. Okay. So apparently, uh, I've seen some sources reference this, haven't um, confirmed Fully because it's tricky with these things, but apparently the CBI were known for, well, I mean, they were very rough on like doing raids and people in general felt it best to, you know, respect them and be nice if we're... These guys aren't about, messing around? Not really, not okay. really. That's the impression I got at least. Yeah. So what they did was fairly standard procedure. They pulled down all the shutters in the uh, store. Yeah. All the surveillance cameras were shut down. Uh-huh. They ordered all the customers and staff to uh, wait uh, uh, in a part of the store. Yeah. As they they stated that their uh, goal was basically to investigate the quality of gold sold in similar shops. <laughs> so 
they started sorting this out. So they started taking some jewelry as well, uh, putting it in a completely correctly labeled what I kind of gather to be basically evidence bags. Yeah. Uh, put random samples in that. Yeah. And uh, all of these uh, like probational candidates as uh, they weren't referred to, but as they understood themselves to be. Yes. Uh, they did a lot of hard work. Uh, they uh, helped with everything sorting. They put up signs saying that a raid was in progress and like doing all their jobs and trying to impress them with their efficiency and all that. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so I think 45 minutes in, they had gathered all the bags with the samples. They had also apparently taken several cash registers. Uh, one source mentioned, but I'm not sure if they... It broke them up or what happened but these uh, uh, briefcases and basically the loot was uh, put over in the waiting bus uh-huh. Singh left the uh, uh, left the store saying that he was going to uh, go and check in and supervise another raid yeah then as far as they can piece together he took the bus back to the um, uh, back to the Taj yeah there he had the bellboy ring a taxi uh-huh the taxi drops him off somewhere around a place called uh, Ville Parle, something like that. They drove a bit and he was dropped up just random place, basically. Okay. And no one ever saw him after that. And what happened to the people in their job interview? They hung around. and uh, You know, tried to keep control of the situation. Yeah, you nice. need to prove you've, you've got this. After a while, when oh, Singh never returned, they got a bit confused and uh, in the end, the manager of the store called the police. Of course. Uh, and there was a very confused exchange. I bet. <laughs> and oh, they tried amazing. to sort this out. And yeah, in the end, he got away with, uh, I think it was uh, 44,000 euros. Which isn't that much, actually. It isn't a huge thing, but yet again, it was it's a while hell of back a lot of as well. And also in India, it's... Um, it's, you know, it goes a lot further, but still. Yeah. And to, to be completely fair, I'm I'm saying euros here. That wasn't really a thing then. I just did today's conversion rate of the sum of the rupees back then. Yeah, um, but still. Yeah, 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 but it was very clean. That's amazing. Uh, I, I mean, not cool, but also... Wow, pretty cool. I like your crime. Good call. Yours was... I wasn't convinced about going first, but this is a nice one. Yeah, I really like it as well. So, like, in the aftermath of this, they they conducted a nationwide search. Yeah. Um, there were some arrests that were made, but nothing ever came of it. There were some petty criminals they mistook for being connected. Um, but they went through, like, the entire list. They investigated, like, all the gang connections nothing yeah uh they did go into what was suggested both by press and others to be like the obvious uh reason which was uh basically investigating former cbi officers yeah. uh, that have gone rogue because like this guy knew basically all the procedure and everything and he managed to fake a lot of the paperwork and everything but they found nothing well they did basically conclude that they're pretty sure that it wasn't someone with a history within directly within the cbi really so how did they get all the knowledge because they went through like they do keep records of everyone and they checked everyone who had um, basically had left and could have been a similar age bracket went through everything but it, no it wasn't any of those <laughs> and 
Yeah, yeah, they did these extensive checks and ruled it out. And in the end, all that is known is they're pretty sure that this is just, there was one guy yeah, who just orchestrated all of this and managed to get away without anything. Just completely walk away free. No and, one knows anything. I more. mean, not that it's a particularly obscure surname or anything. Do they think Singh was his real name? Oh, no, no. Definitely <laughs> not. Uh, this was all like everything they checked when they checked when he was uh, renting the uh, room and everything. Like, no, no, that was 100% fake name. Oh, that's uh, so cool. So he said everything up. Uh, the only thing that looks like it didn't go to plan with this was um, he initially, it looks like he initially like invited people, was planning to have the um, have the interviews for the candidates uh-huh. at his hotel room as well. Yeah. But they were not too happy with that, so he was forced to rent the office as well. Which is really not the most convenient thing to do, especially not last minute, but still. But he, he sorted it in some way. Yeah, good job, mate. Yeah. And... <laughs> Yeah, like, it, this is really short, but it is kind of beautiful. And, like, I love a good heist. And just this, like, you're fooling everyone. Yeah. And just then getting away with it. Like, this is impressive. It me. is. Mm. But also, like, okay, yeah, money might go further over there, but the class divide is massive and you're not going to, mm. you're not going to make a dent in anything, nope. um, you know, past past a certain level. Um, with 40k mm. so here's my theory mm-hmm. my far out theory with nothing that I can base Ooh, bring it on it, bring it I want to see it I think he had a loved one that needed some kind of uh, medical attention and he he oh. stole all he needed to cover the medical bills Oh, and that's it that's kind of pretty isn't it yeah and he also taught those people how to do a really good job interview and how not to be tricked <laughs> apparently yeah <laughs> I mean, they from all the witness statements, they did a good job because everyone believed it was fucking real. So. Good job, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, pretty sure amazing. they won't be hired. But, Understandably. So. <laughs> oh, that's so cool, though. Mm. Nice crime. I really like it. And like I said, there is a movie made. Um, a Bollywood uh, movie. One. Well, yes, I'm. I hope it's I all singing seen or dancing. It. I haven't seen it. I'm not sure if it conforms to the stereotypical. Bollywood genre, if we say it like that, but it was produced in Bollywood at least. Okay, I'm gonna have to dig it out. Mm. Mm. Uh, the movie's called, I think, Special Twenty Six. What? I'm pretty sure I might be misremembering, but if I am, we'll put it in the episode notes or anything. Okay, that sounds um, good. But yeah, and I'm going to need to watch that movie. Yeah, we should do it together. And if it does not have your twist on it, then we'll be bitterly disappointed. No, no, then we'll be happy because then we'll make that movie. Oh. And I don't know if I'm cut out for movie making. Really? Oh, but you're an accomplished writer. And I did moving image arts. I don't really know what that is. But okay. It's like uh, pretentious media studies. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I did not, but uh, I've made videos. You've so. made many videos. Yeah. And not just the videos that were made on your couch. Sorry. Made on my couch? Oh, those videos. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I didn't make those videos. And I, but there's a I legacy said, on that um, boat. I almost said, unfortunately, I'm not sure why I said that. Because then you would have had some success in uh, the Czech film industry. And if you can follow in Spank Meyer's footsteps, then that's always an amazing skill. <laughs> uh, obviously. Uh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs>
don't know. But yeah, that that is my crime. Short and not necessarily sweet, but impressive at least. We've sweet, ended on never. Sweet with your angle though. That's a sweet angle. I think I'm I'm quite happy. They sorted the medical bills, they got to live happily ever after. Yeah. And then in the sequel something bad will happen and uh, Singh will be pulled back into the job again for one last job. Oh, no, here what it, here's what it is. Here's what happens in the sequel. He goes into a job interview and the person interviewing him is one of the ones that he interviewed for the job. <gasps> oh. And they blackmail him ah, to do a heist. That's good. For poor motives. And he says, you were the only one in the bunch I wouldn't have hired. That's the closing line. <laughs> right before the massive explosion as he walks away from it. Or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. God, we'll, we'll have an entire series here. Yeah. It's brilliant. Wow. Copyright Anna from Crime by the Bar. That'll do. <laughs> um, that's us for this week then. I think so. Happy weekend, dear listeners. Oh yeah, you are going to have a splendid weekend. We can uh, feel it in our bones. We can feel like the entire universe is aligning for us to just round this off, give you a nice goodbye. The fire just died out, so we don't need to worry about that. And yeah. Yeah, you, you're going to have a great weekend. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you again on Tuesday. We'll see you on Tuesday. In the meantime... Tweet us, tell us your theories, send us an email if you're feeling really chatty. And remember the competition. Oh yeah, see if you can find the first cut. We'll send you a box of junk. Um, as usual, it's Crime by the Bar on Twitter or Crime by the Bar at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to check out our website, just yeah. go to crimebythebar.com. Yeah, good call. Good night, everyone. Good night and farewell. Bye. <laughs> And and you look pure. You look pure of heart, pure of soul, pure of mind. I mean, <laughs> I know the truth, but you wouldn't know by looking at you. And you're just, you're a big wholesome beast. Thank you. You're welcome. 